managed to get it off, uh, and he then jumped into the water, uh, and then he swam 500 fucking meters to oh. shore, and then walked another 1,000 meters until he found help. After being thrown yeah, into a burning engine. Exactly. Uh, so regarding this incident later, Edmund said, The pain was quite considerable. <laughs> I remember thinking, now I know what it's like to be a piece of bacon. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. My hairline is receding faster than the French forces in World War II. <laughs> what is it with you and the French? I don't know! We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're gonna try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Jack Shepard and Sir Edmund Hillary. Hillary? It was her turn! It is time to move on, Aaron. The war is over. You lost. I refuse to believe it. Well, facts are facts. Well, what if I want alternative facts? Just shut the fuck up! We have work to do! To the history lab! It was her turn! Again, one a master thief from the dark alleyways of London, the other one of two men who conquered the world's highest peak and became a sir. Jack Shepard and Sir Edmund Hillary, a pair of men who would probably be great friends if they had to share a pair of shoes. So James, tell me, if you had to design a chair just for me, what would it be like? Okay, well, have you ever been to any medieval torture museums? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, well, there's this chair oh, in God. many of these museums, and it has these pointy iron points uh, oh. on all the armrests and on the seat and on the back. Uh-huh. Uh, and that is the chair I would definitely choose for you. Well, that's not... But, but, it, uh, I will add something. It will have a free yogurt dispenser. Uh, <laughs> where? Uh, you don't want to know. Oh, no! <laughs> Well, if I had to design a chair for you, uh-huh. I think it would obviously just be just be a toilet, right? Mm. But instead of water, it's lava. Oh, shit. So, like, you're sitting really close to it, and it's just baking your ass. But I know you love that kind of thing, so... Well, well how do you know? <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, shall we just move on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, computer, please bring up Jack Shepard and Sir Edmund Hillary. Well, before we get started, I would like to make an announcement <laughs> that is currently making itself very known. Not only are we having some technical issues in the history lab, so you might hear some equipment whirring, we also have two doggos in the room. Don't ask why. Uh, strays, I believe. Yes, definitely strays. Pickles is not very happy about it. No, no. But anyway, they're both super old, and one of them is currently chewing on a tennis ball, so if you hear any, like, slobbering... <laughs> yeah, it's not me. <laughs> Usually. It's not me. It's yeah. definitely James, but if you hear it, like, sounding like a dog or whatever, that's... that's we have dogs. We have dogs. And right. industrial equipment and all industrial around us. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... uh yeah. 
Uh, well, so, uh, we should just get started. Okay. So, um, tell me, what was Jack Shepard best known for? Jack Shepard is best known for having the most video game protagonist sounding name in history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jack Shepard, mm. extraordinary adventurer or something. I don't know. Yes. Actually, he was just like a master thief. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, what did he look like? You know how some nosy people have big noses? Yeah. <laughs> well, Jack Shepard wasn't especially nosy, but he did have a big nose. Oh. Also, big eyes, a small mouth, and fat ass fingers. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, because, uh, and I say this because the only drawing I found of him was from that era when drawing people with a little extra fluff was the cool thing to do. Mm, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. uh, fluffy. What was Edmund Hillary best known for? Edmund Hillary is best known for being the tallest person who ever lived. Well, I thought that was you. <laughs> Uh, well, he may... He climbed Mount Everest. So, okay, so we know he's tall, but yeah. what, what else did he look like? Uh, I, I don't really know. Well, uh, I, I can tell you that he looked like a New Zealand hero. Okay. He was short, has big hairy feet, lives uh, underground, <laughs> and took the ring all the way to Mordor. Wait, I thought you said he was tall! Well, but it's New Zealand, so I have to make a Lord of the Rings joke, right? <laughs> you know, you say Zealand. Zealand. It's Zealand. Land of the Zs. <laughs> so what do you say we just roll right over into Jack Shepard's early life? Do tell. All right, let's go! Jack Shepard was born in London on the 5th of March, 1702, and he wasn't born very well. Oh, what does that mean? Yeah, so Jack was born kind of sickly, and if you know anything about child rearing in any period before the 20th century, mortality rates are extremely high! Right. Uh, so basically what happens is that Jack's parents immediately get him baptized because they think he's going to kick the bucket before he can even kick off his own shoes. Oh. So speaking of infant mortality, though, oh, Jack no. was actually named after an older brother of his named Jack. Uh, oh, who died as a child. Oh, So they're like, Jack number two, 2.0, <laughs> he'll survive this yeah. time. So, uh, well, anyway, Jack survived his childhood. Oh, good. Uh, but his father didn't. Oh, bad. Uh, neither did his sister. Oh. And both of them died within two years of each other. <laughs> and Jack's mom was completely broke after that, of course. This is just the history of the world up until, like, 2009. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, what do you do when you live in 1700s London? Uh, I don't and know. And you have no money? Yeah. You go to the workhouse! Ah, okay. So Jack was just six. Oh, when he became an apprentice to a chair maker. Oh. Uh, but he was actually paid. Oh. But it was like super not enough. Okay. 20 shillings. And then his master died. Oh, <laughs> so he goes to another master who is a dick. Oh, God. Yeah. So this goes on for about four years. Okay. Jack is 10. He gets another job as a shop boy for a guy named William Kneebone, huh. uh, who was a wool draper. Oh. Uh, this wasn't some random job, though. Jack's mother had been working for Kneebone for quite a while. Mm. So Jack had an in, is what I'm saying. Uh. Anyway, Kneebone taught Shepard to read, taught him to write, and taught him how to, uh, taught, taught, blah, 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 <laughs> taught him how to speak. Taught him how to speak, yes. Uh. But he also uh, got him an apprenticeship. Wow. With okay. a non-wool draper. Right? Oh, got it. Yeah, so, so uh, this hmm. this guy he's apprenticed to is a carpenter, hilariously named Owen Wood. Ah, uh, absolutely <laughs> named. <laughs> yep, yep. Now, back in those days, when you apprentice somebody, you basically enslaved themself, uh, yourself to them. I'm sorry. Fuck. <clears throat> now, back in those days, when you were apprenticed some to somebody, sure. you were basically enslaved to them for like seven years. Oh, good. Uh, so Jack is enslaved to this carpenter for seven years. Oh, okay. But, you know, hey, you know, slavery maybe isn't exactly the right way to describe it. Oh, okay. um, Because he's being taught a trade that could support him for the rest of his life. Sure, okay. Right? So yeah. it's not exactly... It sounds bad he'll to say... Be yeah. yeah, there's an understanding that he'll be free eventually. Right. Okay. I mean, it sounds bad to say you're you're working, but you're not getting paid, but the reality is that there was kind of no other way at the time to pass on useful knowledge like carpentry. So, sure. Yeah, it's like 
almost like free college. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, the morality of this indentured servitude is debatable. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Shepard learns the trade for about five years and grows up to be a strapping young lad of about five foot four. Oh. So not tall. No, no. So he's also known as being an excellent jokester and is popular at all taverns in Drury Lane, oh. where he lives. Cool. Uh, next to the Muffin Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was one tavern in particular, though, that Shepard frequented more than others. Ooh. It was called the Black Lion, and it was run particularly for apprentices, which oh. is kind of cool. It's yeah. like the coffee shop on campus or whatever. Sure. Uh, but it also attracted a lot of criminals. Just like the com campus coffee shops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when uh, university administration goes there. Yeah, basically <laughs> yeah. criminals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the sports coaches. So there was this one guy who... <laughs> For real, though? Yeah. But there was this one guy who went there uh, named Joseph Blake, who was named known as uh, Blue Skin on the Streets. Okay. There was, yeah, so Blue Skin will Blue come skin. up later. Okay, sure. Yeah. So there was also this dude named Jonathan Wild, who has an interesting story as well. In fact, let's talk about Jonathan Wild for a second before we come back to Jack Shepard. Great. Because they're all intertwined. Sure. And you'll see this later. So, anyway, Jonathan Wild has a background a lot like Jack Shepard. He was poor as fuck. Mm. Uh, he was sickly as hell as a child mm. and was thusly baptized shortly after his birth. Mm. His father was a carpenter and his mother sold herbs. Ah. Uh, Wild was apprentice to a buckle maker failed that went to london and became an apprentice again failed that moved back to his home in wolverhampton and then moved back to london again so oh, all over the place yeah. with this guy anyway he falls tremendously in debt and gets sure. sent to what's called debtor's prison australia <laughs> yes uh, anyway so these prisons were exactly what they sound like if you owed money and couldn't pay it uh, off to debtor's prison you went, and oh. historically, bringing your entire family with oh, you. God. And this is a squalid place, yeah. uh, so you'll probably get infected with someone. With someone. With someone. Yes, you'll probably get infected. That's marriage, folks. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get infected by someone ah, and okay. die of disease or oh, otherwise geez. die of starvation. Great. So, not a nice place to be. Uh, anyway, that's where our secondary character here, Jonathan Wilde, finds himself in okay. debtor's prison. Ah. So, while in debtor's prison, Wilde discovers the system. Ooh. No, not David oh, Burns, the system. <laughs> yeah. You should go learn about David Berg's system. You should you not. Ever. Go back, listen to the David Berg episode. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, Grandpa goes to space. That's all <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the system I'm talking about is like a system of bribes that makes the okay. debtor's prison run. Sure. Yeah. So you have no money. You go to prison, and the expectation is that you bribe the guards for literally everything. Uh, so Wilde gets in with these guys somehow, and eventually does well enough uh, that he receives the liberty of the gate. Oh, wow. Yeah, which <laughs> basically means that he gets to leave the prison at night to go catch other thieves, which, you know, hella. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so he's out catching thieves one night, and Good. he runs into this hooker with a heart of gold named Mary Molyneux. 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 She actually has multiple pseudonyms. Oh. So we don't actually know what her real name Shit. is. But, and Mary Molyneux is not the one that she's best known by. I just like the name Mary much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she, anyway, she taught Wilde about being a criminal, mm. basically how to get away with it and whatnot. Okay. And yes, I know this episode is about Jack Shepard, right. but it's all related, trust me. Okay. Anyway, so Ma Wilde and Mary hook up and start living together. Nice. And Wilde starts guarding Mary while she does her Lady of the Night things in the streets, uh, which, you know, okay. Uh, sure. <laughs> later, he cut off her ear to mark her as a prostitute. Oh! oh. Fair. <laughs> was that just normal in the day? I don't, I don't oh. know. Like, in the article I was reading about this, it was just like, and then he cut off her ear. And oh. I'm like, was she, like, okay with this? I, I don't uh, know. Hmm. So anyway, things go on. She needs Jesus. <laughs> she needs an ear, man, is what she well, needs. Well, Jesus will give her the ear. <laughs> Haven't you ever read the Bible? Countrymen, lend me your ear. I don't oh, know. Shit, okay. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, yeah, anyway, do I. so anyway, they're going on. Things are going on. Turns yeah. out crime is becoming a huge thing in London beginning around 1680. 
eighty and increasing into the seventeen hundreds. Cool. Like for real, it's it's a it's huge just crime wave. Yeah, yeah uh, and that never happens in London. Right. There's no crime waves in London. No. There have never been any crime waves. In no, London. of course There's not. There's no crime wave in London right now. It's perfect. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this is a different kind of crime wave, though. Okay, yeah. This isn't knife crime. Mm. This is cut purse crime. So kind of knifey, but less murdery. Ah, okay. <laughs> so anyway, lots of thieves. Yes. So about 1713, when Jack Shepard is about 15 and still working as a carpenter, a man named Charles Hitchin approaches our second guy, Jonathan Wilde, to become an assistant in thief taking, which, you know, great. Uh, so sure. Wilde's going to get paid to catch thieves. Yeah. Uh, and you get paid something like five grand in today's money for catching just one thief. Whoa. Uh, anyway, so London did not have a unified police force at the time <laughs> uh, so crime is just like Jesus it's like way up there yeah, yeah. yeah like so it's almost an institution at this point right um, it's like a new trade <laughs> right so yeah. Jonathan Wilde who is not Jack Shepard yes. uh, starts calling himself Charles Hitchens de uh, deputy with no official recognition of authority, but, you know, whatever, so there's no police force, so fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> he starts carrying a sword, too, oh, nice. because, you know, fuck it! Yeah, yeah. So this guy is now calling himself a champion of justice and becomes the ultimate adversary to the crime wave in London. Sweet! Yeah, except he's also running a gang of thieves on oh. the side! <laughs> and how he did this was actually brilliant. So he would send out his brave boys to rob someplace. They'd smuggle the stolen goods back to Wilde's offices, and they'd wait for the media to get a hold of the story, at which point Wilde would claim that he caught the thieves, recovered the loot, and he would return the loot to the owners and collect the reward. Oh, oh, And, nice. yeah, so the only legitimate arrests he ever made consisted of strictly rival gangs. Okay. So, corrupt as hell! Yeah! <laughs> uh, anyway, so Jonathan Wilde is basically a crime lord. Yes. And Jack Shepard meets this fucker in the Black Lion Tavern. And it's probably time to quit Jack Shepard for now! Sure, but Jack Shepard is our guy, not this Wilde. Yeah, dude. Jack Shepard right. is our guy, um, and it's really wild. Well, you're just giving us the setup. I'm giving you the setup because it. it's gonna get crazy. Sweet. So, what do you say? Do you want to take a break or roll into Edmund Hillary's early life? Uh, let's roll into it. Okay. Yeah. So, take it away, James. <clears throat> okay. Well, Edmund Hillary was born in Auckland, New Zealand. It's Oakland, New Zealand. You fucker. Well, yeah. I think it's Oakland. I could be wrong. I don't know. Oh my god, the dog is stretching her legs. Straight up behind her like a rocket. Yeah, she's cute, all right. Oh, um, yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, so, so, Oakland, Auckland, Auckland New uh, Zealand. Anyway. <laughs> when was uh, he born? Uh, he was born on July 20th, 1919. Great. And right off the bat, we have... <gasps> oh, my God! What the fuck? Aaron, do you know what time it is? What time it's is it? time for World War One. Oh, my God! <laughs> to end. Oh. To, World War One is done. Yes, it is 1919, and World War One is over. Okay. But what's not over is PTSD. Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, and it turns out that Edmund's daddy-o served with the British Commonwealth forces and actually fought at the Battle oh. of Gallipoli. Oh, Jesus. Which, if you know anything about World War One, this is not a battle you wanted to be on on the British side. And the movie you don't want to watch. <laughs> right. It's overrated as fuck. Okay, well, sure. <laughs> Mel Gibson's great. And so is whoever plays across from him. But that's it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so anyway, Dad gets home and he moves the whole family to, uh, oh shit. Twaco? Taka? Taco! Taco! <laughs> it's T-U-A-K-A-U. So Tukau. Twakau. I don't yeah. know. Okay, whatever. Uh, so they got some farmland here. And, and I'm not and worried they, about pronouncing these names, because if we piss off some New Zealanders, it's just going to be a bunch of sheep. <laughs> they're going to be pissed <laughs> off that you're saying New Zealand. <laughs> yep. Uh, Zealand sounds like a place where you go to get a really good nap. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Uh, okay, so it's sorry. here, however you pronounce it, where okay. our little Edmund grew up. Okay! But early life was not all too grand for him. Uh-oh. He received only average grades in school, was sometimes beaten by his father, oh. grew up in New Zealand without meeting any Lord of the Rings characters, oh, no. and was smaller than the other boys, so constantly got picked on. Oh, so that's something that Jack Shepard and Edmund Hillary have in common. Yeah, they were yeah, short. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Uh, he also cried easily, Oh. so this just made the endless bullying cycle worse. Oh, poor which, fuck. Yeah. Oh. Uh, after this schooling, Edmund's mom decided, you know what this boy needs? More schooling! Okay! Uh, so Edmund was sent to a grammar school at the age of 13, mm-hmm. but this school was in the city, so that meant long trade rides both to and from school, which meant that he had a long 12-hour days. Oh, man! Which is very long. That is long. Yeah. And lo and behold, this school didn't treat young Eddie better. Oh! Uh, he found the big city a terrifying experience, and that's a quote. Oh. Uh, and his teacher wasn't so great. Wait, so what city was this? Uh, I don't remember. Okay, so a big city. I don't think there are cities in New Zealand, but <laughs> well, that's there is, just me. There is Minas Tirith, at least. Oh, well, that's... Oh, shit, yeah, that's yeah, true. That's the yeah. that's the West, man. Yeah, that's true. Alive okay. and well in, in the eastern New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's not going well in school. Okay. Uh, and he was still really short uh, and of scrawny, so the teacher, well, I'll just include Edmund's words here. Okay. Now, okay, so I've got a quote, and if I recall, you have a superb Australian accent. Now, I know, I know oh, Australia God. and New Zealand are not the same thing, and they have different accents, but I don't think so, because I'm an American. Oh. So if you want to try this in your Australian accent, you can. Well, here's the thing about my Australian accent. One, it's really hard for me to get into, and Uh. two, it's almost completely unsustainable. But I'm going to try anyway. Please do. Okay, so what's my, what's my, uh, what's my keyword here? Uh, Barbie. Barbie? Uh, Bobby. Uh, I don't know. Koala. That, I'm going to fuck it up. Just get ready. Okay. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm trying to think of my key phrase, because I have one. It, yeah, what is it? It's, yeah, yeah. it's uh, your trigger phase. T something. Phrase. T is it? T. Uh, T. Okay, I'm just gonna try it. Just go for it. <laughs> I'm gonna fuck it up. So it's fine. Okay, I'm just trying not to be so hard on myself. You don't understand. All right. So, uh, oh God, the t- the teacher cast his eye on my scrawny physique, rolled his eyes to the heavens. That's uh, gone Cockney. See, <laughs> told you. <laughs> Okay, I'm just gonna read it uh, sure. in the best accent I know how to do, which is a Hobbit accent. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, the teacher cast his eye over my scrawny physique, rolled his eyes to the heavens, and muttered, What will they send me next? He placed me in the misfit class with the other physical freaks. I developed a feeling of inferiority about my physique, which has remained with me to this day. Uh, not about what I it could achieve but a solid conviction about how appalling I looked. Uh, pretty, yeah, Got yeah, that's there. good, yeah. Appalling. That is how all New Zealanders sound. Uh, <laughs> Spot on. Yep. They switch accents every three words. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, so not a great place for a little kid to be. Not a great place for a little kid to be. Y- yes. <laughs> oh, you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Sorry. Uh, so for a while... <laughs> Shit, it's gonna be this way the whole time. Uh-huh. So, for a long time, it remained terrible for little Edmund. Uh, later in life, he described this stage with the saddest fucking sentence I have ever read. Oh, no! And I'm just gonna read this in my normal accent because it's so sad and people gotta know okay. what it is. I was academically and emotionally lost, and I slipped off and munched my sandwiches in solitary fashion. Oh. 
That's so sad. Oh, God. Yeah. That's um, horrible. Yeah. So to cope with this, Edmund started doing some good old sporty sports. Oh. Uh, <laughs> did you write this drunk? Probably. Okay. Uh, he took up boxing, climbing, hiking, and started growing at a very fast rate. Like oh. Physically. So he's oh. getting he's getting uh, taller. And I, I think I read he in one year he grew nine inches. Oh, which is shit. Crazy. While you were playing your Game Boy, Hillary was training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So at the age of 16, he went on a school trip to Mount Rupehu. <laughs> Rapahu, I don't know. Rapahu, I don't know. Anyway, it's about 10,000 feet tall, uh, and it's in northern New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it every time. Uh, well, I made you do it. Yeah, <laughs> and we have listeners in there, uh, I believe. We We've have had some listens. At least, at least one. <laughs> Yeah, they're all sheep anyway. <laughs> anyway. Just sheep out in the field just laughing his ass off. <laughs> yeah, chewing on his cud. Do they chew on their cud? I don't know. I, I know nothing about they farm animals. They chew all the time. I don't... Well, they're just out there to... Wow, Mao really was a son of a bitch. <laughs> Where's the grass? <laughs> yeah. So he went to this mountain. Yeah, and it was amazing. Okay. And he, he had this new mission in his life. And in his own words, uh, I was in a strange and exciting new world. Wow. A whole new world! Oh, God. Well, Disney's gonna come after us for a performance of that song. Shit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> after seeing the mountain, Edmund basically said, Fuck school, I'm gonna climb mountains! Hell yeah! Yeah. Uh, but the good lord has a sense of humor and decided that actually, no, Edmund <laughs> needed more school. Okay. So Edmund went to Auckland, Oakland <laughs> University College and studied mathematics and science and, uh, fuck you, God, I'm going climbing, what? he said. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so while in college, uh, Edmund first completed a major climb. You could say he majored in climbing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is not a drunk episode, by no. the way, people. We're uh, just may just be giddy. I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he climbed Mount Olivier, uh, which is about 6,342 feet. Okay. Or about 1,933 meters for those of you outsiders who think you're better than us <laughs> Americans. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Edmund didn't do too well in college, uh, so instead, being the dashing and brave explorer that he wanted to be, he decided to take up beekeeping with his father. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, but it actually worked out for him because he did beekeeping all summer, and then he went climbing all winter. Now that's the life. It is, yeah. Uh, he also joined basically an outdoors club, but I had to include its name because it's called the Radiant Living Tramping Club. Oh, hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. I am so in! Same here. Yeah, I think that's where we'll end with uh, Edmund Hillary's early life. All right, so let's just recap a little yes. bit. Yes. One, you say Zealand. Yes, I do. All right. Uh, Zealand. And I hate everybody from New Zealand. <laughs> of course. But, you know, it's only sheep, so, you know. Yes. Hobbits. <laughs> sheep and hobbits. But. Yeah. And and you're, uh, so, also to recap, Jack Shepard didn't really know his father. Right. He's a carpenter. I'm getting the Messiah feeling. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, we'll get, we'll get there. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, we'll get there. Anyway, we should probably take a break. We should probably take a break. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Jack Shepard's adult life. Hooray! Satan! <laughs> Hail Satan! And welcome back to the Nazi party. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> no! For our listeners out there, we do not condone Nazism. Nor any of its things it did. <laughs> do, do the Nazis have a podcast? I wonder. We should look it up. No, I'm just kidding. Well, yeah. Um, I feel like they would not be allowed to like put it anywhere, though. 
that's true. I feel like Apple Podcasts would take it down. Stitcher wouldn't put it up. Yeah, I mean, that's a tricky issue with free speech, but... Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to We Talk About Dead People, and when we left off, we were talking about Sir Edmund Hillary's young adult... Young adult? Childhood. <laughs> He's not a sir yet. Okay. Just We a... were just talking about short Edmund Hillary who kept bees in the summer and climbed mountains in the winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we're coming back to Jack Shepard, and we're going to go into his adult life. Okay. So, Jack Shepard's adult life. Mm. So, when we left Jack Shepard, he was in some tavern meeting our thief-taker general, who is almost as corrupt as Chicago. Oh, yeah. God. This is Jonathan Wilde, if you remember. Right. Anyway, so Jack is hanging around this tavern, getting more and more morally bankrupt, mm. and is meanwhile starting to do poorly at his apprenticeship job because he's so busy doing bad things. Oh. So, he's training to be a carpenter, yes. uh, and he starts openly disobeying his master and stealing from virtually everyone he knows in order to pay for drinks and prostitutes. Sounds like college. You know, yeah. every time I feel bad about something I've done, I think about that. Stealing from people to pay for alcohol and prostitutes. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not there yet. No, I will be, though. Sure. Just watch the fuck out. <laughs> so anyway, Jack Shepard's first recorded theft happened in the spring of 1723 when he was just 21. Okay. And that doesn't mean it was his first one. It was the first one he was, like, recorded. So uh, okay. he masterfully lifted two silver spoons from a tavern while running an errand for his boss. And from there, he just kept stealing more okay. and more. Okay. And then he starts robbing houses. Oh, no. uh, especially the ones he happened to be working in. Oh. Uh, and eventually he starts fencing enough stolen property to make a career out of thievery and quits his apprenticeship two years before he would become a master and, you know, would be set for life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, anyway, he's, but that's just not an exciting enough life for him, no, I guess. So, no. Jack uh, starts working in Jonathan Wilde's secret gang of thieves as a burglar. Oh. Uh, around this time, he's dating this hooker named Elizabeth Lyon, uh, but they're starting to do pretty well for themselves, so they move in together. Okay. Uh, shortly after this, Elizabeth is arrested. Oh, it's unclear why. Maybe for being a prostitute. I don't know if that was illegal back then. I don't know. Um, but Shepard wasn't allowed to visit her, which oh. is, you know, just too bad. So the yeah. prison guards wanted to make it hard for, you know, her. They wanted to make it really hard on her. Okay. So, like, you can't see your boyfriend! Oh. Uh, so what's a master thief in love to do? Uh, steal her heart? Uh, break in and rescue his hooker princess, of course. Oh, okay. I played this Mario game. Yeah, so that's exactly what he does. <laughs> uh, no real details on what happened, but I'm sure it involved opening the prison walls and yelling vaguely communistic things from atop a car while also being Bane. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, sure. That's a Dark Knight Rises reference to everybody. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so don't watch that movie. Don't? Don't watch it. You gotta explain it now. Will, it will turn you into Bane. Oh, okay. And, and then you're then you're like insufferable. You're you're that guy who like wants to do a Bane impression, so you get like a mug or whatever. Hold on, I'll empty this glass and then I can do it for you. Okay. We're just gonna make the listeners listen to you drinking water. They listen to me vape. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I had this friend who did this. Actually, uh huh. I had a that's that's. Anyway, I had this friend who would do a Bane impression, and the way he did it was he stuck his face in a mug, hmm. and he said, "What was it? what's what, what's a quote from Bane? Do you feel fear or whatever? Oh no, do you feel in charge? But it doesn't work because I can't do it. Uh, it's kind of there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can see it coming. He could do it though. Yeah, I couldn't. I could do a really good Joker one though. Oh, way back in the day. I don't oh, know if shit. I can do it right now. 
Um, but anyway, so where are where, where, where we? Oh, so he broke his girlfriend out of prison, like like Bane. Yes. So what happened the next year? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the next year, <laughs> Jack, his brother Tom, and Elizabeth are all involved in a burglary that goes sour. The sour cream. Sour cream. Ja- mm. And they all got cream too. Ooh, shit. Jack's brother Tom gets arrested. Mm. Uh, now here's the problem: Tom has already been arrested once for theft, and the first time they get you, they brand you with a hot iron on your right hand, so oh. people, people can know you're a thief. Oh. Yeah, so like you're picking shit up in the store, and if you got that brand, they're watching you extra. I guess that. Uh, geez, with with the ears for prostitutes and the mm. brandings for mm-hmm. thieves. Yep. But anyway, so they brand you the first time, and if you get caught again, it's the gallows for you. Oh, shit. So Tom, uh, Jack's brother, realizes the only way to save his own neck is to inform on his own brother. Oh. Which he does. Oh. So a warrant is issued for Jack's arrest. Oh, dear. Jonathan Wilde, of course, is uh, in charge of catching Shepard because he is He's... the thief taker general. Yes. So he sends a man named James Hell and Fury Sykes. Shit. I know. <laughs> to get the job done. Oh. And he uses appropriate Hell and Fury tactics. Mm. Uh, so Sykes goes and challenges Shepard to a game of Skittles, <laughs> which is basically... Taste the rainbow! <laughs> yes. Uh, which is basically bowling, but outside. Ah. Uh, so Shepard accepts, and the two head to the nearest pub, where <gasps> a police constable is waiting to arrest Shepard? Yeah. yeah, not quite Hell and Fury, but no. you know, still kind of clever. Bowling and taverns. And Skittles. Yeah. yeah. So Sykes collects his 40 pounds for ratting Shepard out, mm. and Shepard goes straight to jail! Shit. End of the line, right? Yes. Wrong. Oh. They clap him in irons, put him in a cell, but three hours later, Shepard has literally busted through the timber ceiling, <laughs> climbed down onto the roof, and rappelled down the side of the building <laughs> onto the street using that Looney Tunes trope of tying his fucking sheets together. Oh, come on. I'm not making that up. That's what he did. There's a drawing of him doing it, too. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, by this time, a crowd has gathered because, you know, they heard the sound of a guy breaking through a timber ceiling. Yeah, which, yeah. Which, you know... Guards? Are there guards? I guess not. Deaf guards. That's a big red flag if you hear like timber breaking. Oh, he's probably just doing push ups or something. (laughs) So, anyway, Shepard quickly jumps among the crowded townspeople, uh, still clapped in irons, by the way, and shouts, I say him, while pointing to the roof. And then he left. Oh, okay. <laughs> Less than a month later, he's arrested again while picking someone's pocket. Mm. Off to jail he goes, where he's visited by his lady love, who is locked in his cell with him. Oh, okay. yeah. So, uh, soon they appear before a judge who sent both of them to the new prison in Clerkenwell. Mm. And this is a new prison, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got to be state-of-the-art, uh, best kept, uh, best tech to keep people in, for right. sure. Yeah, prisons well, are never corrupt. Or right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, over the next course, uh, the course of the next few days, uh, Jack and Elizabeth managed to break an iron bar out of its place oh in the window, God. tie their sheets together again, oh. and climb down to street level. Wow. The next obstacle is the prison gate, which is 22 feet high. Jeez. Yeah, and they just kind of jump over it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. They got over it somehow. Yeah. Uh, so this escape effectively makes Shepard kind of famous, and also sure. something like an anti-hero figure in the public eye. Uh-huh. It also gets the attention of Jonathan Wilde, who demands that Shepard start working for him, uh, but Shepard refuses, taking a counteroffer from Joseph Blueskin Blake. Eh, remember Blueskin. Yeah, I remember Blueskin. And yep. the two rob Shepard's former carpentry master, William Kneebone. Oh, poor Kneebone. I know, you've got to feel Wait, that. his former carpentry master? Yeah. Jeez, yeah. that's so low. And you know what they say about the Kneebone? <laughs> it's connected to the shin bone. <laughs> okay, sorry, that's enough. So they, so after they rob his former master, yeah. which you know, okay, they took his tools probably, uh-huh. and then what? They took his the wood. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe here, put that, put that two by four in this bag. I don't know. You know what they said after after the robbery? Oh God, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs>
shit. Okay. Uh, that was really Sorry, bad. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, after doing except this... for you, New Zealanders, fuck it. <laughs> So they do some highway robberies and mm-hmm. uh, other things like that. And while they're busy with this, however, Wilde is enacting a pretty standard plan, I would say. Mm, yeah. So he takes Elizabeth Lyon, Shepherd's girl, out for drinks. Okay. So And he gets her completely loaded, mm. uh, presumably took a Snapchat video of her dancing on the table, yes. and then got her to rat out Shepherd. Oh, uh, she said Shepherd would be at Blueskin's mom's brandy shop <laughs> near the Tower of London. Oh. So Wilde sends one of his guys named Quilt... Li- Quilt? Quilt? <laughs> you know, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Uh, to arrest Shepherd. Oh. So Quilt creates a clever plan where he just walks into the bar and arrests Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> Police work 101. Yeah, so Shepard goes to Newgate Prison to await trial. Huh. Uh, he was charged with three counts of theft, but was acquitted of two. Hmm. Uh, ooh, I'm getting messages. Hold on. Let me put that away, because that's annoying. Yeah. So he's acquitted of two of the three counts of theft. Okay. And the third charge was for robbing Kneebone's house, hmm. uh, for which Jonathan Wilde and Kneebone himself gave testimony. Ooh. So he's convicted of one count of burglary and is sentenced to hang. Shit. But get this. On the day of his escape, Shepard once again removed an iron bar <laughs> from his prison window and squeezed out while Elizabeth distracted the guards. Wow. Yeah. They then gave him a dress and a hat, and he sneaked <laughs> out of the prison disguised as a woman. Wow. Yes. <laughs> this so, needs to be a movie. I know. I <laughs> I know. Wow. So anyway, he takes a cab to Blackfriars Stairs, uh, and then got on a boat uh, on the Thames, went to Westminster, and basically hit out. Yeah. Uh, so the latest escape made him even more famous. Mm-hmm. People admired him for being a poor working class fellow who wouldn't give up. Yeah. They liked him because he was a cockney, and he was also rather dashing. You, you know, the Brits, they really love those Robin Hood figures, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they liked him because he was dashing, he was a cockney, and they had really no reason to hate him because it hadn't, like, hurt anyone. Okay. Uh, Unlike many other burglars of the day who would, like, kill people. So he just stole things, so that makes him kind of sure. Robin Hood, for himself. And his hooker friend. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, anyway, uh, he can't hide out forever, right? This is his job. So, yeah, he goes back to London to burgle some more things and was mm. caught again by a civilian organized posse less than five days after his previous escape. Ooh. So, back to jail he goes, but this time he has a whole bunch of people lined up to visit him. Oh, so, he's okay. not bored and he's not lonely. Good. Anyway, so the guards actually do their jobs this time and shake down Shepard's cell where they find files and lockpicks and all the other kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, okay, so good. Like, <laughs> you would think that a guy known for breaking in and out of places would, like... You know, that would be the first thing they would check. But what's interesting is he didn't use any of those things. God, sorry. He didn't use any of those things to escape the first two times. He just broke the iron bar out of the window. So, like, I don't know. Like, is it iron bars but, like, styrofoam walls? Probably, yeah. (laughs) So, anyway, they transfer into this room in the prison known as the castle, which is basically a hyper-secure prisoner keep in place. Yeah. They clap him in leg irons and chain him to the floor. Uh, and the guy who recorded all this, uh, by the way, is Daniel Defoe, who wrote Robinson Crusoe. Oh, that's yeah. random. I know. Awesome. So he records that Shepard actually told his guards the measures weren't enough and showed them how he was going to escape. <laughs> yeah, Houdini oh, over here. Yeah. Anyway, so he's quoted as saying, uh, uh, I don't want to do that. What voice should I do? Because it's probably cock- Cockney. Yeah. Oh, I am the Shepard, and the Gailers, and that's Jailers. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gale is of the town. I'm doing Australian now. Yeah. <laughs> the Gale is of the town of my flock, and I cannot stir the country, but they all let my heels banging after me. I told you, Messiah. I called it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. he's a winner. Mm. So in the meantime, Blueskin, Shepard's partner, yes. is captured and put on trial with Wild, uh, with Wild giving testimony. Mm. So uh, it's pretty clear that pretty much everyone uh, thought that Wild was fucking lying the whole time. Uh, but the judge convicts Blueskin anyway, because I guess he looked thiefy or something. <laughs> uh, so when the verdict is read, Blueskin charges across the courtroom, oh, draws a pocket knife, 
tackles Wild and cuts his throat. Oh, God. Yeah. So the guards pull Blueskin off, and most people thought Wild was done for, uh, but he didn't die. Uh -oh. This causes an uproar, and people are trying to restrain Blueskin, and they're clamoring to help Wild, and it just creates this magnificent commotion. Uh, again, movie. I know. So yeah. meanwhile, Jack Shepard has picked the lock on his handcuffs, gotten free from his chains, but is unable to remove his leg irons. Okay. Uh, it doesn't matter, though, because he broke through another iron no. bar in his jail cell window, <laughs> used said bar to bash through the ceiling of the castle into what was called the Red Room, Ooh. which was another specialty cell. Okay. After this, he broke through six, count them, six oh. barred <laughs> doors to get into the prison chapel, got on the roof, realized <laughs> he was too fucking high up, he goes back to his cell, gets his blanket, turns it into a lasso, throws said lasso around the chimney of an adjacent house, climbs up onto the roof of said house, and breaks into the house, goes to street level without waking anyone up, and hides in a barn. <laughs> All while in leg irons. <laughs> Wow! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, so he keeps these leg irons on until a shoemaker passes by the barn, at which point he gives the shoemaker 20 shillings to bring him some tools to break him out of his irons. Hmm. Where'd you uh, get the shillings? Who knows? Uh, I guess he probably stole them. Oh, probably, yeah. <laughs> so these irons were later discovered in a hooker's room, apparently given to her as payment, <laughs> like a souvenir. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's where we'll leave Jack Shepard for now, but when we, when we come back, we'll be talking about his end and death. Wow. Pretty crazy, that's right? That's amazing. I know. Yeah. So... What do you say we just roll into Edmund Hillary's adult life? Uh, or do you want to take a break? I want to take a break. Okay. Yeah, sorry. All right, well, uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about Edmund Hillary's adult life. And we are back. Stop. We talk about dead people. Okay. I'm, I'm just... sorry. I'm cold, and all I have to wear is this rustly... Yeah, it's made out of, like, aluminum foil. It's yeah. making so much noise. So I apologize if it's a little much. I'll just keep bumping the table, too, and the mic. Oh, God. Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, our sound quality is, is still quite good. It's stellar, I believe. It's stellar. In fact, uh, uh, well, actually, I'm going to stop there. Oh. I'm going to stop rustling, and you're going to tell us about Edmund Hillary's adult life. Was there more you wanted to say? Nope. Okay. Just go! Okay, I don't believe you. All right. So, Edmund Hillary's adult life. Okay! When we last left Edmund Hillary, he was busy being a kid in New Zealand, and <laughs> then... Oh, oh, oh my fucking God, Eric! Oh my God! Do you know what time it is? No! It's time for World War II! Oh my God! <laughs> Uh, yeah, it turns out, in case you didn't know, <laughs> humanity got a two-for-one special on the whole World of Wars deal. <laughs> so World War II begins, and New Zealand, of course, was still part of the British Empire. Right-o! And I actually looked this up. Oh! Uh, so New Zealand uh, had some independence, but was still under dominion status. What does that actually mean? Uh, I don't know. Okay. They're still technically a part of the British Empire, I think. Oh, okay, okay. But I, I could be wrong. But they're like and their again, own. I don't care if I piss off any New Zealanders. <laughs> Well, at least it's not the French for once. <laughs> <laughs> right, this is going to become a running joke of me just hating New Zealanders, I think. It, yeah, it, it well, that tends to happen. You know, you start with one joke yeah. about the French, you piss them off, and then you go to another country, New Zealand, you piss them off, and, you know, that actually has a name. So the Doppler effect. It, it, exactly, yeah. precisely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so World War II people. All right. Uh, <laughs> 
Edmund applies to join the Royal New Zealand Air Force, uh, but then quickly withdrew his application because he felt, quote, harassed by my religious conscience. Um, okay. Uh, and I tried to find more on this, but I really couldn't. Uh, so okay. my very humble guess, uh, but I could be very wrong, is that Edmund's dad was probably Christian and probably became somewhat of yeah. a pacifist after that whole Gallipoli thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then probably raised Edmund with similar expectations, but I don't really know. Yeah, you're right. He could just be, like, you know, a Hindu. Well, yeah, it said he was really conservative in his upbringing mm. of Edmund, so I, I don't know, yeah. Um, okay. Either way, Edmund seems to have moved away from the faith-based life later on in life, uh, but we'll get to that later. All right. So, Edmund did the only sane thing for a non-soldier to do during World War II. Eat candy. Uh, he traveled to Europe. Uh oh what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, he actually went to Switzerland, which was neutral, so I guess it's not that crazy. No. Well, but yeah, anyway. At least he didn't go to Switzerland. Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, Switzerland. Uh, anyway, so while everybody was dying, Edmund was just climbing and hiring uh, tutors so he could become an expert in the field. Uh, or mountains, actually. <laughs> so he's climbing mountains in the Alps. Okay. Yeah. But eventually, Edmund was forced to conscript with the New Zealand forces because the Japanese threat in the Pacific was just getting out of hand. Uh, right. Imperialist Japan is... Uh, uh, they're doing a lot of things. Yeah, they're doing some some things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Edmund's dad tried to convince the New Zealand government that making honey was an essential service in order to get his son excused from the draft. Oh. Uh, but they didn't fall for that. Okay. Uh, so Edmund was forced to join the war. Poor guy. Yeah. Uh, during his training, Edmund would spend all of his off hours in the mountains climbing wherever he could. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, thankfully, Edmund didn't join the war until it was almost over. Okay. Uh, he was a navigator for some time and then later worked on some planes. It oh. uh, wasn't too interesting. Okay. Anyway, the war ended pretty much before he saw any action. Oh, well, but lucky he, for him. Yeah, he wasn't out of the woods yet, though. Oh, shit. Uh, so one day, he's on a boat and then the boat's broken oil tank explodes oh. and bursts into flame. Oh my god. Yeah, so Edmund gets ready to jump off the boat, but then the boat hits a giant wave, and the movement throws Edmund directly into the boat's burning engine. What? <laughs> yeah. uh, he managed to get it off, uh, and he then jumped into the water. Uh, and then he swam 500 fucking meters to oh. shore, and then walked another 1,000 meters until he found help. After being thrown yeah, into a burning engine. Exactly. Uh... <laughs> So, regarding this incident later, Edmund said, The pain was quite considerable. <laughs> I remember thinking, now I know what it's like to be a piece of bacon. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's great. And then he recovered in three weeks. Wow. <laughs> and was allowed to leave the military, because the war is over. Now. Right. Uh, so, Edmund returned to what he loved doing, climbing mountains. And also training. He saved all his money so that he could hire the best uh, uh, mountaineering tutors. Oh, okay. Uh, and on one of these climbs, Edmund was going up with a team when a rope broke and one of the members fell uh, quite a distance, okay. crashed against a boulder, oh, and shattered yeah. her arm. Oh. She didn't die, though. She was just down there with a broken arm. Uh, Edmund responded by digging an ice cave and sheltering the woman for three days up in the mountain until a rescue team arrived. Wow! Yeah, pretty cool. That'd make a great movie. Yeah. Mm. yeah. He didn't okay. marry this woman. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Oh. But it'd be pretty <laughs> amazing if he did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the year 1950, Edmund's sister got married, speaking of marriage. Uh, she got married in London, okay. and Edmund used this European trip excuse to travel to the Austrian Alps and climb, fi climb five mountains in five days. Whoa! And these mountains were just, oh, you know, only 10,000 feet Sweet tall. Sweet Jesus! Yeah. 
Wow. Okay. So uh, by this point, Edmund is a pretty damn good mountain climber. Okay. Uh, and people are starting to notice. Oh. Uh, in 1951, this dude named General Lowe, uh, who or General Lowe, <laughs> General Lowe, George Lowe, George Lowe. I don't Lowe. know where that came from. Well, when you said it, I read George as General too, so you're brainwashing me, I guess. I am. Yeah. You join the military and oh. do what you need to do for your country. Yes. And God. <laughs> So he's in he's so, in the Himalayas. Yeah, and uh, George Lowe... No, he's not in the Himalayas, not yet. You're, oh, okay. You're so, okay, so this mountaineer named George Lowe, he notices Edmund and right. invites him uh, on a New Zealand team surveying trip to the Himalayas. <laughs> Spoiled that for you. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> anyway, we all know he's gonna he's gonna climb Mount Everest, so right. we gotta get to the Himalayas. Uh, gotta get there somehow. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Edmund, of course, accepts this opportunity, and the team spent four months traveling through the Himalayas. Okay. They also tried to climb Mount Cho-Oya-Oyu. <laughs> Cho-Oyu. I don't know. I don't know. It's the sixth largest mountain in the world. Okay. Uh, but the attempt failed because of bad weather. All right. Then they also spent time surveying the best plan of action for tackling... Wait for it. Oh. Oh. Mount, Mount fucking Everest! God damn it. <laughs> yeah, now for those of you who don't know, Mount Everest is the tallest natural point on Earth. Blah, blah, blah. Wow, yeah, man. It rises up to 8,848 meters. Or... I have no idea what that means. Tell me in American. Yes, in American, it is 29,000 feet. Oh, shit. It's fucking big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and up until this point in the 1950s, nobody had yet reached the top. Uh, there had been attempts for sure, but the Great. snowfall... Isolation of the mountain itself, random Yeti attacks, and lack of great climbing technology prevented anybody from making hmm. it. Mm. Uh, and also for those of you who are, who are wondering, no, Mount Everest is not the name that the local Nepalese people gave it. Oh. Uh, but in the 1860s, the British did what they do best and named it after some British guy, Sir George Everest. Wait, so what was the Nepalese name? There's a, a couple different names. Oh, okay. And the British guy who named it was like, oh, all these names are too confusing. Let's just name it after Sir George Everest. <laughs> so they did. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, after this four-month-long trip, Edmund receives good news. He has been selected to join the official British attempt to scale Mount Everest. Okay. And this was a massive undertaking. It right. included 400 people and 10,000 pounds of supplies. Wow. So the team uh, headed to the Himalayas. Wait, wait. What? What's 10,000 divided by 400? They had yaks, I'm Six. sure. Did they bring... <laughs> Yeah, they had yaks okay, and yetis okay, okay. and all that. <laughs> and Mumakil. By the way, I'm sorry if you guys hear bumping on the table. One of the doggos is visiting. Yeah, and she's adorable. She is adorable. Hello. Her name is Petrie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they've got this giant team of yaks. Now she's scratching my coat and licking oh my, my hand. Oh my god, this this episode is like the episode of annoying noises. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dog, you gotta quit. Okay. She's so cute. I'm sorry. Carry on. Okay. So they've got this big ass team. Okay. They head to the Himalayas <laughs> and they finally reach the bottom of Everest. What? They're supposed to reach the top of Everest. Well, <laughs> <Not the bottom. laughs> Well, okay. So there's a lot of traveling through the Himalayas, which oh. I cut out because boring. So they finally make hey. it to the bottom of <laughs> We gotta stop this. The yeah, dog's dog is like, love me, love My apologies, everyone. It's hard for me to say no to a dog. Yes. Yeah. When they, they're scratching you and looking at you with those big watery eyes. <laughs> it's like, oh, so cute. You're so cute. <laughs> okay, so they're at the base of Mount Everest. Yes. Okay. Uh, and they, they're they at this place brilliantly named Base Camp. <laughs> 
which is at the base of the mountain. Right. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it's where previous teams had camped, so it is a, it is an actual spot. Right. Uh, leading the team is a man named Colonel John Hunt. Which That's is, yep. I don't even need to say it. Colonel Hunt. Yeah. This needs to be on a cereal box. <laughs> So this guy, uh, he decided to organize two climbing teams. Right. Uh, the first team to attempt the mountain will be English mountaineers Tom Burdullion and Charles Evans. It looks like Bordillon, but I think it's got to be like Bordillon. Isn't the two L's like a Y? I yeah, think that's but a that, French that's, thing. I don't, that's, I don't know. That's a Spanish thing. Either way, these guys aren't our guys. Right. So Charles Evans? <gasps> what? I knew a Charles Evans. Oh. <laughs> He's still alive. <laughs> He's alive! Yeah, so that's the first team. Okay. The second team will be our boy Edmund Tillery and Tenzing Norgay. Okay. Uh, now a quick word about Tenzing Norgay. Okay. He really deserves his own episode, and right. maybe we'll we'll cover him some other time. Right. But for now, I'll just say Tenzing was born and raised with the native Sherpa people in northeastern Nepal. Okay. Uh, he too became a great mountaineer and guide, and previously worked with some teams to conquer Everest. Okay. Uh, he was part of the 1952 Swiss attempt on the mountain, uh, which failed. Oh. Uh, but then he ended up working for the British and was paired with Edmund Hillary as a two-man assault force. Right. And the two really liked each other and became friends. Awesome. Yeah. So wait, you've got this team of two guys. Two British guys two who British. we don't care about. And then one British guy and one Sherpa guy. Well, he's not really British. He's New Zealander, remember? Oh, yeah, right, right. Uh, well, which I'm is a dumbass. Yes. He's well, just not working really. with the British. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So, uh... They're friends. Yeah. So, back to Mount Everest, the first team of those other guys who are not Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay begin their ascent of the mountain and make it within 300 feet or 91 meters to the summit oh. before they had to turn back because one of the man's oxygen systems failed, oh. which just sucks. That just sucks. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, but because of this, it was now Tenzing and Hillary's turn to attempt the mountain. Woo! But first, they have to wait two days because of heavy snow and wind. Classic. Yeah. Now, the way uh, the mountain is positioned, there are actually, like, camping spots along the way up. Right. Uh, so, ascending most of the mountain is relatively easy, <laughs> and I say that as a fat-ass American who's never seen a mountain, but it's relatively easy compared to the top of the mountain, which okay. is extremely difficult and very dangerous right. to, uh, to climb. Right. Anyway, so Tenzing and Edmund are at one of these camping spots, waiting for the other team to get back, and also waiting for the snow to stop a bit. Okay. Uh, and then Edmund's boots freeze. Okay. <laughs> so he has to make a fire to unfreeze them. Oh, man. Uh, but after that was done, uh, the first team returned. Tenz uh, Tenzing and uh, Edmund prepared to make the final ascent. Woo! And uh, it's kind of anticlimactic in oh. a way because the climb went really well oh. and they made it. Okay, <laughs> well. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll uh, put in Edmund's words on the final part of uh, the summit, uh, the, the ascent to the summit. Okay. Uh, do you want to attempt this again? Uh, Should we? We'll, we'll just read it. I noticed a crack between the rook and the snow sticking to the east face. I crawled inside and wriggled and jammed my way to the top. Tenzing slowly joined me and we moved on. I chopped steps over bump after bump, wandering a little desperately where the top could be. Then I saw the ridge ahead dropped away to the north and above me on the right was a rounded snow dome. A few more whacks with my ice axe and Tenzing and I stood on top of Everest. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So they just kind of get one up there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the, the two reached the top of Mount Everest at 11.30 a.m. on May 29th, 1953. Okay. Edmund was the first to make it to the top, and then Tenzing soon followed. Uh, the, okay. The two spent about 15 minutes at the top, quietly celebrating, taking pictures, and looking at the scenery. Oh, I hope they got a selfie together. They didn't. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Oh, damn. Yeah. 
Edmund then buried a small cross at the top, and Tenzing buried a small bag of sweets. Oh, wait, wait! I remember reading about this as a kid and being like, what a waste of candy! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, it's it's not a waste. You can go up there and get it. I don't know if it's still there. It's probably frozen up there, yeah. 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 Uh, so there, I was going to say to the pictures, there is a picture of Tenzing on the top holding his ice axe, but unfortunately there's no picture of Edmund on top because Tenzing didn't know how to use a camera. Oh, that's just too bad. It's sad, it yeah, like he's the first like... guy on top, no picture. Oh, well, that's... Picture didn't happen. But at least Tenzing got a photo. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So upon their return to camp, Edmund told their leader, George Lowe, Well, George, we knocked the bastard off. <laughs> Uh, news quickly spread all around the world. Edmund was made a knight, nice. so now he is Sir Edmund Hillary. Okay. Uh, and Tenzing was not made a knight because he was from Nepal. Now, wait. Do you have to be from that I, country I to get a knight? I, I don't know. I don't know how it works. Uh, I, I kind of feel like you have to be, but I... That, I, that would technically I, be I the don't, criteria. I don't I don't know. All yeah. right, so they knocked the bastard off. Yeah. He got a knight. They all got a t- shit ton of awards, right. which I'm not going to include because there's just too many. Uh-huh. But both of them became heroes, like, worldwide overnight. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and news about this victory got back to London exactly on Queen Elizabeth II's inauguration day. Oh, or hell yeah. coronation day, I should wow. say. Wow. So the press was like, oh, it's a gift for you. <laughs> She's like, thanks. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, like I said, he got all sorts of awards and blah blah blah. But uh, he instead decided to go instead. Why did I use that word? I don't know because you're I'm dumb. fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So after climbing Mount Everest, uh, Edmund decided to go back home and marry his childhood crush, oh! a girl named Louise Mary Rose. And did they get married? They did. Oh! Yeah. The same year. Oh, shit. What a year. Yeah. <laughs> Climb the tallest mountain and get married. But funny enough, though, th- this man who had climbed the tallest mountain on the planet was too scared to propose oh. to her. So instead, he asked his mom to do it for <laughs> him. <laughs> but it all worked out. She said yes. Uh, and Edmund described his years with his wife as the happiest of his life, even more so than all the mountain climbing, Aww. which is so sweet. Yeah. That is really sweet. Uh, they had three children. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, great. Good. But a climber's got to climb. Right! And Edmund continued organizing climbing troops all over the place in the late 1950s and 1960s. Then he traveled to the South Pole and became the third team to ever reach the South Pole, and the first team to do it with motor vehicles. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh. yeah. The Norwegians did it with sled dogs, and the British team, I believe, did it with donkeys. What? Which was not a great idea. Oh. Uh, no. Yeah. No. Um, uh, donkeys yes. are not known for living in polar conditions, are they? No, they're uh, known for being the democratic uh, <laughs> symbol. Wait, I gotta know. I, I kind of wonder why you would pick a donkey and why Republicans would pick an elephant. I actually don't oh, know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I used to know. There wa- there, There is reasons for it. There is reasons for it. But, there- <laughs> but you know what? I don't care, so I'm not even going to Google it. Right. right. No. So everybody, if you're wondering about that, sorry. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we mechanized a trip to the South Pole. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And then he decided that he needs to decide, or he needs to find out if the abominable snowman exists. Really? And for those of you who don't know, it's basically Bigfoot, but white and living in the Himalayas. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Okay. Uh, I am a Yeti, everyone. (laughs) 
So Edmund led an official expedition that went on for five months to find yetis. Uh, but alas, no evidence was found. <laughs> so amazing. Some remote Buddhist temples claimed that they had some yeti scalps, uh, but these turned out to be fur from antelope and bears. Okay. Uh, in 1962, Edmund appeared on the game show What's My Line? What? Uh, what the fuck is that word? And Sumpter the Panel. <laughs> Stumped the panel. <laughs> and sumped her I the can't panel. read, I can't write. I uh, am inept. But we don't have a script, so that's okay. That's true, yeah. exactly. Exactly. No yes. script. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then in 1985, he took a plane and landed at the North Pole. Oh, cool. Making him the first man to stand at the top of Everest and both the North Pole and South Pole, which began what's called the Three Poles Challenge. Wow. Which uh, a couple people have completed since then. Uh, unfortunately, though, Edmund's life met with tragedy when his wife and one of his children died oh, in a plane shit. crash, uh, which caused Edmund to spiral into years of depression, understandably yeah. so. Oh. Uh, on a happier note, though, Edmund did have two other children, and uh, one of these children, his son Peter, uh, and I gotta tell this story because it's so fucking cool. Oh, awesome. So his son Peter uh, actually climbed Everest exactly 50 years later. And he did it with Tenzing's son, Jamling. Wow! So the sons did what their fathers had done 50 years ago, or 50 years later. It's just so cool. I bet there's pressure on their sons or daughters to <laughs> yeah, climb right? to do it, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool, though. Uh, anyway, so there's a lot more on kind of what he did, and we'll get more We'll get more into it later. But uh, I'm, I didn't list any of the awards he earned, because I don't really care. <laughs> but he made a... He, he got a lot of awards. He got a lot of awards, yeah. including one called the, what, George Medal? Oh, uh, that was Tenzing. Tenzing got the George Tenzing Medal. Tenzing got the George Medal because he wasn't made a knight. Kind of shitty. <laughs> the George Medal. <laughs> anyway, speaking of kind of shitty, um, let's move into Jack Shepard's End of Death. Yeah, I think we should move into Jack Shepard's End and Death. Sweet! So, when we left Jack Shepard, he had escaped from prison again. Right. And now he's on the run. Uh-huh. And then he died. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, just kidding. Oh. oh. So he's on the run. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> but thieving is his job, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. he has to go back and start robbing people again. Sure. He disguised himself as a beggar and headed to London, breaking into a pawn shop on Drury Lane and stealing a silk suit, a silver sword, a bunch of rings, some watches, and a wig. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Which is pretty great, but unfortunately he walked outside and was immediately shot by a police officer. Oh, shit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? <laughs> so he, get, he gets all this shit and he dresses himself up in this suit, oh, carrying okay. the sword, puts on all the rings and the watches and a wig, mm. um, and immediately found himself a pair of women who would go out with him at the same time. Living the life. Yeah. Um, but about one o'clock the next morning, he was found completely drunk oh, no. uh, by some guards and was hauled in festal pomp and all. So he's still wearing everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this time he's put in what's called the Middle Stone Room, where he would be under constant surveillance. Ooh. Uh, and remember, this this is actually the same prison that he had escaped from the castle room. Ah, okay, right? yeah. Um, so, so they've got a history. <laughs> right, so they weigh him down with about 300 pounds of weights. Oh, so he's not going anywhere, this is it, right? Yeah. So the jailers charge people four shillings to come take a look, and even the royal painter, James Thornhill, came and painted his portrait. Oh, cool. Thus the fluffy fingers. Ah, yes. Yeah, so a bunch of bigwigs in the city uh, also petitioned King George I to show leniency to Shepard. Uh, he was shown no leniency. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, however, uh, he was offered a deal to save 
save his life if he'd roll on his thieving buddies, mm. but he refused outright and was therefore doomed. Kind of honorable in a way. <laughs> yeah, well... No honor among thieves. But honor with Jack Shepard, yes. who is the best thief. Okay. So, uh, the next day, Blueskin, you remember him, guy yeah. who slashed Wilde's throat in court, <laughs> yeah. uh, was executed, and Shepard moved to death row. Mm. Shepard had smuggled a knife into the prison, however. <laughs> so how did they not find that? I like, don't know. See, they need to take some tips from the TSA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, random cavity checks on old people. Yeah, well, yep. we're not going to know that. No, we yeah. won't. I'm sorry that happened to you, James. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he smuggled a knife into prison yeah. uh, and planned to use it to cut himself free during his execution. Okay. So, like, while he's hanging, he's going to reach up and <laughs> cut the knife. Sure. Or cut the rope. Yeah. Uh, but the knife was discovered and mm. was taken away, so no hope for Shepard. Yeah. Okay, so one-third of London showed up for his execution. That's about <laughs> 200,000 people. one-third of the entire city? One-third of the entire city. Uh, about 200,000 wow. people. Uh, so he was taken by cart to a tavern where he drank a traditional pint of sherry. Uh -huh. uh, at his execution, Daniel Defoe had stalls of salesmen selling the book he'd written about Jack Shepard's life. Sure. <laughs> okay. So yeah. Shepard is taken up to the gallows and hangs for 15 minutes. At this point, the crowd madly presses forward to try and stop something. I don't know what exactly. Okay. So I think they hanging? were afraid the authorities were going to dissect his body. Oh. And they thought that would be, like, dishonorable or whatever. Sure. So this actually prevents Shepard's possible final escape. Because oh. his friends were nearby and they were hoping to retrieve Shepard's body and revive him. Oh, shit. Um, but this didn't happen because the crazy mob was too busy protecting Shepard's body to realize that they were actually beating the shit out oh, of it. Oh, God. Anyway, so his body, which was was mangled, oh, uh, was finally taken and buried at St. Martin in the Fields later that day. Okay. So, <clears throat> he's dead. Uh, his legacy, though, is kind of limited. Uh, there were plays about him, and he became something like a symbol for the oppressed class. Yeah. Uh, so there's a note about some postmodernist saying something silly about Jack Shepard being some kind of narrative about class warfare, which is, you know, kind of lame. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, it's not. He's a thief. <laughs> yeah. <damn it. laughs> like, he, and, yeah. Anyway. So, there you go. But that was like yeah. half the article was this person talking about, like, Really? How he was a symbol. Which uh, he kind of was, but only in, yeah. in plays and things. Yeah. Like a character. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, so anyway. That's it for Jack Shepard. Oh, uh, yeah. Shall we move into Edmund Hillary's end and death? Uh, sure. You know, yeah. Let's go. So, uh, Edmund didn't live out the rest of his days quietly. Okay. Uh, in a good way. Yeah. Okay. He actually began some pretty amazing charities. After climbing Everest, Edmund fell in love with the native Sherpa people and created the Himalayan Trust, oh. which helps construct schools and hospitals in remote regions of the Himalayas. Still around? Uh, I think so. Okay. He personally led the organization for 48 years. Wow. Until he died. Uh, I'm assuming it's still around, okay. but I don't actually know. Uh, he was also the honorary president of the American Himalayan Foundation, which helps improve the ecology and living conditions of people in the Himalayas. Cool. And he was also the honorary president of the group Mountain Wilderness, which is an international organization that aims to protect the mountains. Mm. I don't know from what. Uh... No, I, well. from more people in green coats from freezing. Oh, shit. We're I... going to get into that in just a minute. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He also became New Zealand, <laughs> New Zealand <laughs> High Commissioner to India and High Commissioner to Bangladesh and Ambassador to Nepal and spent four and a half years living in New Delhi. Uh, okay. So pretty phenomenal guy. Sure. Unfortunately, though, he did not live forever. Oh. And he actually died quite recently. Whoa. Uh, in April 2007, uh, Edmund suffered a fall and was hospitalized in New Zealand. And on January 11, 2008, he died after suffering a heart attack. Oh. Flags in New Zealand and in the bases and Antar in Antarctica were all lowered to half-mast. Wow. So pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, his body was cremated and most of the ashes were scattered into the ocean around New Zealand, although some were sent to a Nepalese 
Chinese monastery near Mount Everest. Wow, okay. And I, they actually planned on sprinkling his ashes at the very top, but uh, the plan was canceled, unfortunately. Oh, that's which, too bad. Yeah. Anyway, Edmund Hillary's legacy is fucking huge. Okay. He received a shit ton of awards from all sorts of countries. I said that earlier. Mm -hmm. He also wrote several books. Cool. Uh, and there's really too much to tell about this guy's legacy, so just look it up if you want to know more. Okay. One thing I will say, though, is that while researching his life, I was very pleased to find pretty much nothing terrible about him. Oh. Which is nice for a change. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, he just seems to be a pretty phenomenal guy who uh, did some amazing things and is probably the most famous New Zealander ever. Wow. Yeah. Uh, also, do you remember how Edmund, uh, early on in his life, was bullied for being so small and scrawny? Wow. You, you remember that, yeah, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, well, it turns out that this dude ended up standing taller than anybody ever before. Yeah. Ha ha. Is that a, is that a joke? Uh, you no, know, it's just a lame thing I saw in an article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just remember that, kids. If you ever get bullied, just climb a mountain. Yep, that's all it takes. Yeah. Also, uh, to finish this, this topic is way uh, away from left field, but for those of you who like dark topics... Oh, boy. I have to bring this up. Okay. And you alluded to it earlier. Okay. So, hundreds of people attempt to scale Mount Everest every year, and this is very dangerous and pretty much completely unregulated. Uh, oh, okay. Really? So, oh. Yeah, because it's just out in the middle of nowhere. Right. So, lots of people have died on the mountain. Ugh. Uh, and because the mountain is so isolated, the bodies pretty much just stay there because nobody can really recover them. Jesus. Uh, and I looked into this, and there are quite a few bodies there, and some of the bodies are actually used as landmarks for climbers. Oh, God. Which is really yeah. morbid, but I guess, like, if they're there... <laughs> Might as well make use of them. Yeah, I'm gonna leave the details out, uh out of respect, but there are lots of pictures and descriptions of all the bodies online if you really want to know. Oh. And I'll leave it at that. Wow. Oh, okay. But yeah, they, yeah, it, it's pretty dark. And That's like the guy with the green coat. Yeah, there's one famous guy who, uh, I, I think he has a green coat or something like that. Uh, green boots? Green, it's green something. Like, green skin. So, yeah, and they use him as a, a landmark because he's very near the top. Hmm. Very morbid and sad, but interesting yeah 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 mm, dangerous mountain yes yes well awesome i think we're done i i think so yeah so shall we head to the surface yes yes right away What are you going to do for the rest of the day? Well, in the spirit of today's episode, I'm going to climb onto Mount Everest and then steal the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Great plan. Yeah, I think I'll store it. Uh, where do you think I should store it? Um, Your ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We're 12. I don't know. I'll decide. What are you going to do for the rest of the day? Uh, I am going to do yoga with yogurt yoda <laughs> yoga yoda with yoga yo yeah oh. yoda. god fucking damn it sorry yeah 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 i need coffee yeah you do maybe that's what i'll do i'll drink some coffee okay oh well i think it's time to bring the show to an end for today feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people podcast at gmail.com we will read all of it and not along if unless you're from new zealand yes <laughs> if you hate us you're probably from new zealand <laughs> if you like us though please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com that's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people even as little as a dollar as much as it costs to buy a scooby snack helps tremendously if you are short of cash you can also help us out by just telling people what you think of the show it's cliche at this point but sharing an episode with your friends is almost as helpful as giving a dollar 
You can also find us on Twitter at WTADP Podcast. That's WTADP Podcast on Twitter. Drop us a tweet. Say hello. Yeah. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. <laughs> Great. <laughs> www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let sounds of fucking nothing play you out. <laughs>